1: TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings, the NFL, football, yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. The Kevin Stefanski is now the offensive coordinator version. Uh, Matthew Collar along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. Courtney, how are you?
0: I am happy that we finally know something. It's it felt like eleven days of just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But it's always fun when the dominoes begin to fall and then everybody starts to go in their place and knowing that we're not going to have to wait until after the Super Bowl to find out who the offensive coordinator is so we can get on with our lives is pretty great.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's good (laughs) for us. And uh, only really about a week and a half or so of chasing our tails around different reports that this person or that person could be interested. And I I think what you find at the end of this is just – the level of validity of offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, head coach reports that are out there is very, very low. I mean, uh, one of the guys, uh, Mike Malarkey, who was reported to uh, be a, a candidate for the Vikings offensive coordinator situation becomes a tight end coach somewhere else. And so it doesn't seem like there's any actual interest in him from anyone. Hugh Jackson's name was out there repeatedly. And Mike Zimmer said that that uh, was fishing in the wrong pond, and it turned out right. And uh, so as we speak, Adam Schefter has reported Kevin Stefanski will be the offensive of coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. As, as we're talking now, it hasn't been officially announced, but uh, usually if Schefter's got it, good enough to go. So we will talk about it as as fact from here on. Um, your first reaction to seeing Schefter's report that Stefanski would be coming back?
0: Not terribly surprising because this morning – the news breaks that Freddie Kitchens is going to be announced later today as the Browns' next head coach. And as we know, Stefanski had the interview, a second interview on Tuesday of this week. Uh, so it was basically down to Kitchens and Stefanski. And if you're going off of this, it's somebody who, you know, knows a team, can lead a team, has chemistry with Baker Mayfield. I don't, I don't see how you couldn't choose a guy like Kevin, like Freddie Kitchens over Kevin Stefanski. For that job, just given he's already had history with the team and, and Kevin does have a quite a bit of inexperience that's working against him for that position. Um, so I'm not surprised that he returned based off that. I mean, reports and, you know, research that I had done and people I have spoken with the last few days said that they did expect something between Kevin and the Vikings to happen if it didn't happen with Cleveland for the head coaching job. Um, that to me is a little surprising because I think that the ceiling personally and the job security and everything else that you're looking at with Cleveland from an offensive coordinator standpoint might be even more attractive to a certain degree, just because you are working with Baker Mayfield, a young quarterback coming off an incredibly promising rookie season. But for, for Stefanski who had been talking with the Vikings throughout this entire process, never left them in the dark. I mean, it really was that, his situation with Cleveland put Minnesota in a holding pattern, but they expected that. So now you get to move forward knowing, okay, the continuity that they began to build after John D. Filippo was fired and after Kevin Stefanski took over in Week 15, they get to continue building upon that. And I think that that is so critical for an offense that really, by and large, couldn't string it together for more than a few games at a time this season. And, you know, going into 2019, that's a good sign that Kirk Cousins isn't on his fourth offensive coordinator and fourth new system in four years.
1: So uh, every time I tweet something like, well, players in the locker room are saying this, I always get back, of course they'll say that. Uh, When we talked to players at the end of the year about Kevin Stefanski, they seemed very excited about what he brought to the offense. And I will say that folks like you and I, our professional read between the liners. So, um, <laughs> my favorite,
0: it's my, it's actually in my bio on my resume.
1: Is it? Well, yeah, that's because it's so it's true. Number one line. That, that is, that is what we do. We, uh, listen to everything they've got to say and then we parse through it for what sounds legit and what sounds bogus. And it turns out that these people are not, um, spies. So they're not great at uh, hiding their cards all the time. And I, and I think that when there were issues with John D. Filippo, it was very obvious. Uh, Mike Zimmer made it very obvious, but even players did too. And I also think that when Kevin Stefanski came in and made the changes that he made, uh, that players uh, legitimately did appreciate that. And I know that we've brought it up a number of times, but when Mike Zimmer said that, Uh, Kirk Cousins would have more of a say in the offense with Kevin Stefanski. It really said to me that those two have had communication. And when I've I've talked to other quarterbacks about this or former quarterbacks, our friend Sage Rosenfels mentioned it on the podcast that uh, the great offensive coordinators make sure that their uh, quarterback is comfortable with everything they're asking him to do and that it's a really close relationship. And I think over the last year that Kirk Cousins and Kevin Stefanski formed a very good communication Um, so that is at the very top of the list when you're trying to decide who are you going to bring in how is this going to work how can you maximize Cousins that's what this is really all about it's it's not about whether they can run the ball that's what people are going to talk about because Zimmer brought it up so much it's really about can you get whatever percentage points more of efficiency out of your quarterback than you did last year
0: yeah, and, and with Kirk, I don't know if you can. And, and that, I, I'm sure, is something that the front office has looked at and trying to find out, alright, offensively, they need to improve a lot of things. As you said, you know, if, you, if you're gonna find an offensive coordinator that's gonna get along with Mike Zimmer, that's going to abide by what the head coach wants, probably can't do any better than Kevin Stefanski, who has literally been around the team longer than anybody on staff. And so he knows Zimmer, he knows the inner workings of that man's head and how it pertains to the offense, but he also abides with a lot of it. I mean, he abides by Shermer principles. He is a Shermer disciple, essentially, given his experience under him and all the stuff that we saw him pull from 2017 and implement into the game plan, um, against two far superior opponents, excuse me, inferior opponents in 2000, in, uh, week 15 and 16. But he still got it done in that sense. So that's something I don't think needs to be worried about. It's which coordinator are you looking at is potentially going to be the best to get kurt cousins out of the rut that he's in and is there somebody who can take him to the next level is there somebody who can help him rise above what he did in 2018 and honestly i'm not sure there's any one person that can because truth be told i think you you know what you're getting from kurt cousins from here on out at 30, he'll be 31 years old by the time the season rolls around next season. A zebra does not change its stripes. Kirk Cousins is who he is. You know what you're getting out of him. It's it's just a matter of finding an offensive coordinator to scheme the other pieces around him to create more success for Cousins. And I think that Stefanski knows what he can do with Kirk. He's worked within the closest of anybody there. He was his quarterbacks coach. You know, months and months before he was promoted to offense uh, interim offensive coordinator. So that to me gives you more confidence if you're a Vikings fan, knowing, hey, this guy knows this guy's history. I mean, it's not a terribly long history, but it's long enough that you like this option more than you do somebody coming in fresh off the street or somebody coming in from another team that has to relearn a quarterback. Like, as we saw, learning somebody in six months and building an offense for a quarterback in six months is, is very hard, um, especially a quarterback like Kirk Cousins that needs things to be status quo with not better around him. So I think that that's really beneficial in having Kevin Stefanski here. He has a vision for what he wants to do. We'll get to hear about that vision going forward once they introduce him officially with a press conference coming forward. Um, But I like the move. I think it's in the, I've said this all along. I think it's in the best interest of the team to try to build off that continuity, the little bit that we saw of it um, in 2018 and see where you can go from here.
1: I'm looking at the offensive stats under Mike Zimmer and just where the Vikings ranked in in different categories. And the stat that I think Kevin Stefanski is going to be most responsible for and the one that's going to be also the hardest for him uh, to manage is the giveaways on offense. If you go through the years under Zimmer, 2014, they're sixth in giveaways, then fourth, then seventh, then third, and this year's 16th. But when your offense already wasn't very efficient – If you are in the mid-pack in terms of your giveaways, they also didn't have very many fumbles from running backs. I can only remember two by Delvin Cook. I don't think Latavius Mm -hmm. Murray had one, and I don't remember any other receivers. So basically, the quarterback position was almost entirely responsible for their giveaway numbers going way up from where they were in the past. And this is where it's going to be very challenging for Kevin Stefanski to set Kirk Cousins up to not turn the ball over. And I know that that sounds like, well, man, you paid this much money for a quarterback who you're most worried about him just turning the ball over. But it is the thing that killed them in so many instances this year. And I don't know if there is a way to scheme around that. But I I do know that when you look at some of the other numbers, that there are little helpers that you can use for a quarterback um, and an offensive line to give them a hand with some stuff like that. And play action is the thing that I feel like we've talked about all the time. But in terms of quarterbacks who had, I got this from Pro Football Focus, quarterbacks with more than 100 play action plays in terms of what their percentage for dropbacks were, Kirk Cousins was 16th out of 17. So there were 17 quarterbacks with at least 100 play actions. In terms of the percentage of dropbacks, he was using less than 20% play action, Jared Goff 35%. So it's very clear that other coordinators are scheming help for their imperfect quarterbacks. Cause I, I look at Jared Goff as being very, very similar to Kirk cousins. So how can Kevin Stefanski utilize things like that play action? And Mike Zimmer mentioned, be more creative in the running game to help that play action or at least support it as much as possible. How can they do that? Um, that's going to be, I think, Stefanski's biggest challenge.
0: Yeah, because it's a, his success or failure, and and we can get to why this was an attractive position only to someone like Kevin Stefanski going forward. But his success or failure is not just the entire offense; it's basically Kirk Cousins. I mean, you can look at Kirk Cousins and John DiFilippo's Filippo situation and say that Cousins got Filippo fired a number of times. Like you can be like, that got him fired, and that got him fired, and that probably got him fired too. So, I think Kevin Stefanski walks into a very similar situation where you have an imperfect quarterback who is expected to live up to this enormous, um, larger than life price tag. Well, you know, that expectation alone is very intimidating. But I do think that someone like Stefanski is going to be able to work around the workarounds for Kirk Cousins. What are they? Their play action, it's Kirk going under center, it's the hurry-up scheme that they use so frequently in the first quarter against Miami before they let them come back in the game. It's, it's all those little things, Um, you know, scheming around Dalvin cook, building your offense around your best playmaker to take pressure off Kirk cousins, which in turn will get your run game started, but also utilizing Dalvin as a guy who can catch passes. I now mean, we didn't see all that much of it this year where it was a regular thing. Maybe in year three, it becomes that. So when you look at the whole big picture here, of what Kevin Stefanski can do to help Kirk Cousins, it's it's it really is that bottom line of getting playmakers in space. I know that we use that, and it's kind of coach speak for just, you know, hey, get your best guys the ball. Um, but how does that happen when you have a quarterback who has as many flaws that we saw in, in the biggest moments uh, as Kirk Cousins? That, to me, is going to be something as you start to rebuild this team, as you start to see players leave and, and players come in via free agency in the draft. It's how Stefanski decides he wants to use them and use them early uh, that it's really going to tell the story of his 2019 season. Because you take a look at Kyle Rudolph and, and the other tight ends and, you know, guys who are not utilized um, in ways that they were beginning of the season as they were to the end of the season. I think that that's kind of telling a guy like Dalvin Cook, too. I mean, sure, he had the injury uh, that kept him out for you a know, better portion of a month. But utilizing him in a different way early on, and not waiting till week fifteen to get him going in the run game, stuff like that's going to be important and, and define the success that Stefanski has here. Well,
1: I completely agree in terms of getting Delvin Cook the ball. When you look at the number of touches that he had um, in 2017, in just those first four games, he was averaging 19 carries and three catches. And this year, he was averaging 12 carries and three and a half catches. It's got to be better than that. He is such a special talent that he's got to be touching the ball more often. And then I also think that there are ways that they can scheme to help the offensive line as well. Because if people think that they're going to go into this free agency and change the world with whoever they're going to sign, there is not an Andrew Whitworth on the market this year who is a complete game changer on the offensive line, nor do the Vikings have the money in free even free agency even if they do restructure contracts to go wild and start outbidding people for 30 plus year old offensive linemen so what we can expect next year is that there's still going to be issues on the offensive line Chicago's still going to have Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks things are not going to be easy uh, to find ways to help them but I feel like in many instances, John D. Filippo did nothing to help them. I mean, how many times? I've seen this pointed out to me a bunch of times. Pat Elfline had one of the worst pro football focus grades. And how many times was he just one-on-one, Kirk Cousins in the shotgun, and he's getting beat by someone who's really, really talented, Fletcher Cox or Aaron Donald or Indomitian Sue or whoever it might be. And the same thing goes for Riley Reif. Like, there has to be ways... To help these guys schematically as well, and I'm I'm curious from from your perspective though, as we talk about Stefanski and Cousins, where you think the biggest area schematically that they can change to help him out? I mean, other than the the play action, which is you know obviously a thing that Mike Zimmer talked about a ton and they're going to do more often, but do you think that there is something that Kyle Shanahan was doing before, that Sean McVay was doing before to get a little more out of him than John DiFilippo did that maybe Kevin Stefanski can copy?
0: Well, I mean, you take a look at the first thing that Mike Zimmer talked about when when Kirk was introduced as a quarterback, and it's just how good he was in play action. I really struggled with that because we didn't see that much of it early on. If really, throughout the first 14 weeks that John Filippo was the offensive coordinator, I'm not really sure why. Because, you know, when you're dropping Kirk back into the same place in the pocket and you're expecting him to not be who he is really and to, you know, process quickly and to get rid of the ball quickly, I mean, he can do that some of the time, but that's not something that's quite sustainable. I mean, he was one of the best play action quarterbacks. Um, in the NFL from 2015 to 17. And and that's just a statistic. Like, that's something that I think you look at and you say, okay, how can we play to that strength better, regardless of what our offensive line looks like? And regardless of, you know, how, how, how they can, you know, what they look like in 2019, you know, as you said, they're probably going to have some weaknesses here. But I also think, too, that it was a matter of the playmakers that they had. Like, Kirk was never really relied upon. And, and yes, that he, He's a 500 quarterback at best in Washington. I mean, he had one playoff season that they barely scraped by to get in in 2015, and he does not have a playoff win. So, is that the quarterback you're going to get? Probably, but are there ways that Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, those types of guys uh, were able to get more out of him? Yeah, because I think it's it's the deep ball passing game. It's it's play action. It's you know scheming with your better playmakers to to spotlight them and to take less off of to take more off Kirk's plate and make him do
1: less so my biggest thing is can he convince Kirk Cousins to throw the ball when Adam Thielen or Stefan Diggs are not open that was one of the biggest assets that Case Keenum had we talk about his pocket presence more often I have trouble thinking that Kirk Cousins can fix his pocket presence but can you convince him that a double team doesn't mean your guy's not getting it or that if you throw it deep, you often will get a pass interference penalty because Diggs and Thielen are going to fight for that ball. Uh, As we went along in the season, we saw Kirk Cousins still hitting deep passes when he threw them, but it it seemed like the number of deep passes regressed. And I I wouldn't mind if the entire thing for their offense, if the entire theory was just, let's try to run the ball quite a bit and then hit on a big play-action play. I think that that's okay to use when you have a quarterback with limitations who's not going to sit in the shotgun time after time and just throw the ball over the place like Tom Brady. And I would also say getting Kurt out of the shotgun is probably a big thing for them because Cousins is, I I think, much better when under center. I I, I mean, Mm -hmm. the statistics on that are kind of wonky because he just wasn't under center that much right? He was mostly uh, out of the shotgun last year, so it's hard to say, oh, he was much better under center. That's also where you're going to use more play action, so you're going to have higher stats, Um, but I, I just, I think that it kind of all starts there, of having the offense be under center a lot. You mentioned adding weapons. That's been my idea for sure, to get a third wide receiver, get somebody a little more explosive. The one thing I wonder about, though, is Keenum was so good on screen passes, I don't think Kirk Cousins was that good on, sc- no. on screen passes?
0: And that's the thing that people were, you know, screaming about with this offense. Why aren't they throwing more running back screens? Why aren't they using wide receiver screens? Well, they tried, but Kirk is so inaccurate with throwing them because he gets shook in the pocket and he sees that defensive end coming. And you know, the the one that you know stands out to everybody is the pick six that he threw against Miami. And then you know, he proceeded to throw Kyle Rudolph under the bus because he talked about Rudolph not picking up the block on the defensive end and that, and that's what really by and large led to uh, the, the pick six. Kirk's not very accurate regardless on those throws. I don't know. There have been several times where the ball is either behind Dalvin Cook or it's in you know too far in front of him and he has to reach for it. I don't know how you fix that other than this off season. I mean, how can you stimulate a true pass rush in the off season? Like that to me is a very difficult thing to theorize as to how you actually get better at that. So the one thing I do think that they can do is, you know, by, by simplifying how those things happen and whether it's, it's, it's adding to your blocking scheme to give Kirk the confidence to know that if he's got that quick outlet pass, it's going to work. That's one thing too. But You know, by and large, I mean that's just an area with his pocket presence he's never been very great good at. Like one thing I I notice about him is that when he drops back, like let's say he's not under center and he's just in the shotgun, Kirk isn't exactly somebody you can take three steps to the right or three steps to the left, um, and and extend a play and make something happen. So to me, I just don't really understand why that is, and can you change that when you don't have a true pass rush? to simulate, I don't know if you can, because that takes months. It takes years of practice um, to do stuff like that and to be able to move around in the pocket. And I just don't think truly. And, and, and honestly, at 31 years old, his pocket presence is going to change that much, but You can change his launch points. You can roll him out of the pocket like we've seen several times. I mean, I think I think you still want to have that goal to pick up a first down with your legs every single game. I think that's important Um, because once Kurt gets outside of the pocket, I mean, it's not a look that teams are expecting all that much. So it probably keeps the defense on their toes. It's probably a good thing to have in your arsenal. But not having him in the same place back there, not having him drop nine and a half yards deep, probably beneficial.
1: And, you know, I think about the screen issue that you're bringing up some of the inaccurate ones, Uh, the the throw behind Rock Thomas that turned into a, uh, a fumble against the Philadelphia Eagles. And there were other ones where maybe you didn't notice necessarily a fast speed, but then when you go back, a swing pass is just a little half step late. And this is where Stefanski now has a year of looking up close and spending every day with Kirk Cousins to be able to say, okay, so this type of screen doesn't work for you. This type of screen does work for you. Because you do have offensive linemen who are really good at, at getting out there and moving. And I think they have to find ways to do that, even if it means lining up Delvin Cook in the slot and throwing him screen passes from there and things like that. I also think that what Stefanski needs right away is a gadget player. um, Cordell Patterson coming back, I think, is sort of like a... I think it's like a sneaky good idea, personally. That Mike Zimmer, <laughs> Mike Zimmer regretted the way that they used Cordero Patterson before, and raved about the way the Patriots did. Well, the guy's a free agent again, and they don't have a true number three wide receiver or a gadget player who can run with the ball or or run jet sweeps or you know take short passes for for big gains. And I think that that's that's a lot of what what Cousins needs, and that that's where Stefanski. Would probably want to focus things because we know that Phelan and Diggs are going to catch everything, but it's also about supporting Stefanski in this free agency here. And then, yeah, absolutely. See, what he can, see what, where he can go from there. And then I think a lot of people have brought up too uh, what they do with the offensive line, offensive line coach, and how they design some of their runs. I, I don't think it was an intentional jab at Clancy Barone, but it, I mean, the, how much Mike Zimmer talked about Tony Sperano in the creative run game. I, I do think they're going to need to be creative when you don't have the best talent up there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I agree with you. I don't think that was a shot at Barone. I don't think that that was anything more than, hey, we might need to, you know, that was only, that was a one-year fix. Clancy coached uh, the offensive line when the Broncos won the Super Bowl in 2015, but he was there to coach tight ends. Andrew Ginoco was an offensive line assistant under Tony Sperano, and he You know, they decided that Mike Zimmer made that decision to not look for a veteran voice, not to look for, you know, a guy like Mike Tice, who his name was kind of being thrown out there right after Sperano passed away. Well, maybe that's the fix. He wanted to try to, he said the word continuity millions of times, it felt like, during that whole stretch where they're trying to move on in the season while they're trying to grieve the loss of a friend and a coach. And, you know, to be able to keep those principles that Tony had, you know, instilled in this team... And that nastiness that Mike Zimmer said they were just without this year, um, I think that they'd be wise to look at trying to overhaul now to start building something again and maybe even consider the offensive line as a part of that entire equation, along with Spansky coming in, that you might need a new voice in there. Because, yes, Tony Sperano and the entire impact that he had in the offensive line room will never go away. But I think you do want somebody, whether I don't know if I buy the whole co offensive line thing. I want one voice in there if I'm a coach, teaching those guys, talking to those guys, coming up with a scheme. I mean, yes, it's nice to have assistance and and help like that, but the co offensive line coach thing did not make a whole ton of sense to me.
1: Uh, Do you think that Brad Childress will be here as something like passing game coordinator? I saw that he left. Oh, man. You
0: know, it's interesting. Yeah, he left the
1: AAF where he was working.
0: Yes, he did. And a lot of people were insinuating. I think cleveland.com put something out this morning saying that, okay, well, if Stefanski gets the head coaching job because Brad Childress already has a relationship with him and also a relationship with John Dorsey when, you know, he's in uh, Kansas City with him for three seasons. To me, where there's smoke, there's fire. And regardless of Kevin Stefanski not staying in Cleveland, who knows? Maybe Brad Childress comes back to Minnesota um it has some sort of role either as a position coach I'm not sure about that but as an offensive analyst or a trusted voice because you know truth be told that's how Stefanski really did get his start with the Vikings I mean he was with the Eagles um as I believe like an operation game day operations intern something like that and and met Childress then and then followed him here and was an assistant to the head coach in 2006 and you know from there I'd coached so many different position groups and you know really cut his teeth uh with Brad Childress and you know they're close friends close 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 colleagues so I would not be surprised at all if we this somehow comes out to where we see Brad Childress working with Kevin Stefanski again somehow some way
1: and and even though you want uh, everyone wants the next Sean McVay right um I think you always want someone from Andy Reid's coaching tree around because they all seem to Uh, have a lot of success. I I guess the the last thing with Kevin Stefanski that that I wanted to ask is is just about his contract. And it's being Mm -hmm. being reported that it's going to be two years. Uh, Does does this lock in the idea of what we talked about before of Stefanski uh, probably only signing on if he knows that Mike Zimmer is at least going to be here another year and Rick Spielman too. I I would guess that we're going to see Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer get one-year contract extensions. And this sort of leans me that way even more that his is a two-year deal.
0: Yeah. And like, I think that that's something where, you know, you look at this entire situation and the Vikings didn't really have a whole ton of options. Like they should be thanking Cleveland for hiring Freddie Kitchens because that kind of signified, okay, if it's one, if, if it's, if it's one thing, if Kevin gets the job as a head coach in Cleveland, you can't say no to that. There's 32 of these in the world. Um, you can't say no to that, but you know, for him to be an offensive coordinator here in Minnesota, he's probably the only candidate that's in a prime spot because a, he knows this franchise. He's already been here. It's not like he's coming to Minnesota. To, on a one, you know, on a one-year deal where this is brand new for him. Let's say things don't exactly go well for the Vikings next season, and they find themselves in a similar situation at eight and eight or worse. Well, writing should be on the wall whether Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman have contract extensions or not. That they're out the door, and a guy like Kevin Stefanski could potentially be in line to be the next head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. I know that there are a lot of things that need to happen in order for that to take place. But it would not shock me whatsoever if that's the case, because what what that's that's part of the reason why I think a lot of offensive coordinator candidates did not come out the woodworks for this job, because who wants to come and be an OC under a lame duck coach?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, I I think that that would have scared off somebody like Dirk Cutter or uh, I mean, maybe Mike Malarkey. I don't know. I, I was never really sold on that being a, wasn't real, a real thing, but Dirk Cutter, I believe is a real thing. He's supposed to be a great offensive mind. And they did have good offenses there in Tampa Bay, just no good defenses and turn the ball over constantly, which doesn't really sound like a Mike Zimmer type of guy, but um, you know, when it comes to somebody else coming here, aside from Stefanski, I totally agree that it's a little bit of a tricky situation, especially with a quarterback who's been around a long time. It's not your quarterback to mold. It's your quarterback that you have to mold yourself to. And that's where Kevin Stefanski's familiarity with Kirk Cousins, I I think, will help him. Um, Last thing before we wrap up this emergency episode of the Purple Podcast, Matt LaFleur, another Matt head coach in the uh, division. I'm I'm good with that. And Vic Fangio leaving the Chicago Bears to take the head coaching job with the Denver Broncos. Uh, Your thoughts?
0: Probably really good news for uh, any other team in this division that the Bears defense is losing their guy who built this thing from the ground up. And I still think they're going to be very, very, very good. And, and, you know, I know that we've been hearing about, okay, is Todd Bold going to Tampa Bay? Is he going to potentially be in play to get the D.C. job in Chicago? I mean, that unit is still going to be very, very good. But I think you're hoping and, and, and probably happy to get one part of a very good defense out of your division.
1: Yeah, for sure. And as far as Matt LaFleur goes, uh, another guy with connections to Sean McVay, but also Kirk Cousins as well. And the interesting thing about uh, how we look at these is with Cliff Kingsbury and with Matt LaFleur, people immediately Google what their stats were last year and they go, oh, uh, this guy didn't have the number one offense in the league, so he must be a moron. And this must be a terrible decision. But I don't think that that's, the case at all with either one of those guys. I think what a lot of teams are looking for is to take the next step in terms of creativity on offense. And if you're trying to get the most out of Aaron Rodgers' last few years, that's who you're going to look for. And Matt LaFleur is probably a good hire in in that vein of things. And then it will depend on whether they can actually fix their defense, get a few more weapons for him. And the cliff Kingsbury one is obnoxious too, because his, (laughs) Well, his offenses were fantastic. Yeah. I mean, they were really, really good. And and there's people saying, oh, he chose Davis Webb over Baker Mayfield or something. So he must be a dummy. Well, I don't look at it that way. It's, it, it's a guy who has consistently had success at the college level where a lot of the NFL coaches are drawing their creativity from. So it makes sense to go a little outside the box instead of hiring the same old type of guy.
0: Yeah, I think that the NFL, the offensive explosion is not going anywhere. Um, and it's, it's time that we see, okay, you're making these hires. Let's see them pan out. Just because you're friends with Sean McVay and because he may have like shook your hand one time doesn't mean that you can be a good head coach in the NFL. Um, I thought that was incredibly precarious that the Arizona Cardinals put like that Cliff Kingsbury is pals with Sean McVay. They, they're drinking buddies. They wear the same sunglasses. They go get their hair cut at the same place. I don't know. Like that to me was just absurd. Like if you can coach football, you can coach football. Is he, and I wouldn't even say that if you're part of the McVay coaching tree, sure. But like if you guys are just pals, maybe you watch the same TV show. I don't think that has anything to do with it, but. It is, I'm not surprised that Kingsbury got the job. Uh, ever since we saw that, like, you know, the, the news like coming out, okay, maybe he's an NFL candidate after taking the USC job for a hot second. That right now he's in a situation where he, it's sink or swim because people are going to be looking at him being like, okay, can you actually lead? You may be a very good developer of quarterback talent, but can you lead a franchise? Like, that is a humongous test, but it honestly feels like offensive minded guys and and, and people who have fallen into that Sean McVay pool have a better chance at getting jobs than defensive minded guys.
1: And and so I think uh, when you see Vic Fangio leave, if you're a Vikings fan, you say, all right, great, because he's clearly done a great job with Chicago. But when you see a really smart offensive mind, join the green Bay Packers, you, you probably do get a little concerned and, Then you look at the Detroit Lions who didn't fire their dopey coach, and we can all laugh because that's going to continue to be a mess, I think.
0: Yeah, and I'm curious to see who gets that OC job because who wants to work for that guy?
1: (laughs) I mean, as long as you sit up straight, I think you're fine. Um, So anyway, uh, well, the Vikings, as we've been talking, made it official with Kevin Stefanski. We will hear from him uh, tomorrow morning. So we'll have um, Friday morning. Oh, I'm sorry. Friday morning. And so we can probably have another conversation and do more podcasting fun. Uh, so anyway, um, that'll, that'll be great. Also keep uh, your ears peeled to the purple podcast because we'll have some new things coming in, in 2019 that we're excited about. So that as well, thank you all for listening. And thank you, Courtney, for your time here on the purple podcast.
0: Check out liveone.com slash best music for details.
1: When we told growers that New Bear Premium TriVolt herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with TriVolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and TriVolt worked. See for yourself at TriVoltInAction.com. TriVolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions.